He's a very gifted man. It's been my privilege to be friends with Roy for many a decade. We were classmates together. Come on up. Would you welcome him, please, to the platform? And we're going to look to the Lord together this morning in prayer. My brother is a special man used by you in very distinctive, unique ways for your glory. He's been used by you to open eyes to the way in which to minister effectively, sharing the gospel, your grace to the Muslim community globally, as well as regionally. So, Father, we're thankful this weekend that we are blessed to have Roy Darla in our midst, and we're asking now in a very distinctive way that you will use him to further the gospel of Jesus Christ through this means today. Commit our brother to you now. In Jesus' name. Amen. Bless you. Well, it's good to be with you uh, this morning. We have a video just to give you a little introduction about ourselves. Uh, I happen to be over 50, and I got to put these things on. Oh, oh, there I can read it. We serve the Evangelical Free Church uh, Reach National Immigrant Mission in Muslim Ministry in Chicago area and the U.S. We have served with Reach Global since 1985. I serve as ministry, uh, Muslim Ministry Director. We focus on Muslim evangelism, discipleship, equipping others to reach Muslims, plus writing, resources, and speaking. Our ministry ranges from Chicago region to throughout the U.S., plus internationally teaching Iranian believers. In the Chicago region, we have more than a uh, half a million Muslims. They come from around the world in all walks of life. There are more than 109 mosques, but only about 10% of Muslims attend. Many Muslims are seeking the true God and are coming to Christ. So locally, we both teach Muslim background believers in Bible studies, and we mentor others in ministry. Regionally, we have an organization and organize the Chicago Tri-State Regional Comma Network. Uh, through quarterly meetings, we equip and encourage Christians to reach Muslims through prayer groups, testimonies, and ministry spotlights. We provide workshops on several levels and practical resources. At these meetings, people connect and they assist each other in their ministries. We have seen Muslim ministry increase and expand since the network began five years ago. We have now more than 200 people in 20 ministries dedicated in reaching Muslims in the Chicago area. Many churches have ministries that serve the refugee community, and God is at work in the Chicago region. Nationally, I serve as founder and director of Kama Network, the Coalition of Ministries to Muslims in North America that included about 300 ministries and, and individuals. For 20 years, uh, we have held consultations and provided an email network for communication. Our focus, new focus is equipping people through regional groups and developing training videos. Our website provides resources, articles, and links that you can find there. We advise ministries and connect them with ministry experts. We both speak in churches and conferences to equip others to reach Muslims and other internationals. Internationally, I have been traveling, I will 
I have been traveling to Europe to teach Iranian pastors and church leaders for Pars Theological Center. My upcoming overseas trips uh, for this year include uh, to Ethiopia to train pastors of, of uh, former Muslims, to Spain to help organize and teach a conference for former Muslims, and to England for a conference of Iranian leaders. Five years ago, we produced a six-lesson curriculum called Journey to Jesus, Building Christ-Centered Relationships with Muslims, published by Tyndale. Tyndale. Uh, it includes lesson material and professional videos and dramas. The book, The Burden of Baggage, First Generation Issues in Coming to Christ, has been published in both Farsi and in English to help uh, Muslim converts grow in their newfound faith and to produce healthy churches. I'm currently researching and uh, searching for a publisher for a follow-up book on that uh, one. Currently being called Reconstructing the Christian Life. We ask for prayer for the people and ministries that we've mentioned. And you can stop by the table that's out in the foyer for resources, articles, and Jesus movies and DVDs and more information. We live in an extremely remarkable time. Todd Johnson of Gordon-Conwell Seminary wrote that in the past 100 years we have seen the most significant trend in Muslim, or sorry, in global Christianity. Uh, it has shifted to the south. And this, this has been documented by scholars and groundbreaking research in regards to all religions worldwide and uh, how this whole phenomenon is taking place. Currently, right now, 67% of all Christians live in the global south, while just 33% live in the global north. Not only is it an unprecedented de demographic shift that's taking, but there's also an unprecedented opening that's taking place. In 1977, when I was in seminary, Dr. Herbert Kane was professor of missions, and he told me in the course that there were more missionaries to the Alaskan Eskimos than there were to the entire Muslim world combined, which is the second largest religion in the world. And I prayed at that point, and in my lifetime, I would like to see Muslims come to know Christ. We were told it was just very, very few. In 2014, David Garrison published a book called The Wind in the House of Islam, in which he documents a movement of Christ in the Muslim world. There are nine rooms that he calls in the Muslim world, and a movement is, called, is defined as 1,000 baptized believers in a 10 to 20 year period, or 100 new churches in the same time period given in a uh, specific people group or ethnic community. There have been movements and multiple movements in all nine of these windows or rooms uh, in the Muslim world. Never since the time of Muhammad in 632 have we seen numbers of like this coming to know Christ. We live in fantastic times for the spread of the gospel. And not only that, we see strategies and new creative thinking that's taking place. And they can be from the Alpha Course to church planting movements or CPMs that they're called or discipleship making movements or DMM as they're called or chronological storytelling. Uh, the emphasis has been shifted from church planting to multiple church planting to now church planting movements that we see at least four generations of churches being started. 
The Joshua Goss uh, Project has focused our attention on UPGs, which are uh, unreached people groups. And now the new strategy that's being added is uh, doing orality learning and how do we do ministry to those that are oral learners rather than book learners. Case in point is in India, uh, the Hindustan Bible Institute under the direction of Paul Gupta wanted to see all, uh, a church in every village in India. And they realized that they couldn't do it by just formal training, so they made a shift to non-formal training of leaders. And now these non-formal trainers and leaders are planting on an average of 4.5 churches per year. From 1987 to 2003, 2,300 churches have been started. We live in a remarkable time in, this, in our history. In regards to the Bible, it remains a high priority, and in October of 2019, the full Bible had been translated in 698 languages. The New Testament translated in 1,558 languages, and portions of Scripture in an additional 1,138 uh, languages. It makes the Bible the most translated book in all of history. We live in remarkable times. Yet there's a, another statistic that goes along with that, which oftentimes is not talked about. Todd Johnson, the co-director of the Center of the Study of Global Christianity at Gordon-Conwell, estimates that 70 million Christians have been martyred over the last two millennia. And he breaks it down and says more than half have died in the 20th century, mostly under fascist and communist regimes. He estimates that one million Christians have been killed between 2000 and 2010. And between 2011 to 2020, 900,000 Christians have been killed. While some of deaths have been directly related to violence, most have been by indirect causes of disease and starvation. And the country that's seen the most is the DA, DRC, or Democratic Republic of Congo. So can we see the same type of movement and growth in the northern part of the hemisphere, and even here in North America? And if that is to take place, we're going to have to address America's obsession with fear. Barry Glasner, an L.A. Uh, bestseller wrote this book, The Culture of Fear, Why Americans, and hear this, Why Americans Are Afraid of the Wrong Things. So in his book, he sets out to find out why most Americans are fearful and why our fears are so misplaced. We do live in a scary world, but our mission theme is to have no fear. And God addresses our fears and luminaries, spiritual luminaries like Moses, Jeremiah, and Ezekiel were afraid to speak out and God spoke to them and said not to be afraid. In our passage we'll be looking at in 2 Timothy 1, 6 through 12, Paul addresses the fear that Timothy was facing. And if we have an honest conversation about our fears and take to heart the four challenges that Paul gives to Timothy, the North American church will start to grow 
like the brothers and sisters of the South. Let's look to the Lord in prayer. Lord, we come this morning because we want to hear from you. We want to be obedient to you. We want our hearts to be attuned to you. So we would ask you, Holy Spirit, that you would minister to us. You would speak to us in a way that only you can do. So we commit ourselves to you and the word. For we ask this in Christ's name. Amen. So if you have your Bibles or your device... Either turn to or turn on to 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 6 through 12. And as they're turning, I would say I'm reading from the New International Version. I work with international, so I use the New International Version, as opposed to the English Standard Bible or something like that, because, or the American Standard, uh, but uh, I'm doing it internationally. So, 2 Timothy 6. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is through the laying of my hands. For God did not give us a spirit of timidity, but a spirit of power, of love, and of self-discipline. So do not be ashamed to testify about the Lord, or ashamed of me, his prisoner, but join with me in suffering for the gospel. By the power of God who has saved us and has called us to a holy life, not because of anything that we have done, or because, but because of his own purpose and grace. This grace was given to us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time, but it has now been revealed through the appearing of our Savior Jesus Christ, who has destroyed death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. In this gospel, I was appointed a herald, an apostle, and a teacher. That is why I'm as suffering as I am. Yet I am not ashamed. Because I know in whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him for that day. I like the way that uh, the Living Bible translates 2 Timothy 1.7. Uh, just hear this. For the Holy Spirit, God's gift, does not want you to be afraid of people, but to be wise and strong and to love them and enjoy being with them. I, I love the way that uh, that was just expressed uh, in sort of a different way. So what is the first charge that, we, that Paul gives Timothy? He says, for the, God did not give us a spirit of timidity, but a spirit of power. So the first charge to Timothy is to live in the spirit of power that God provides. Live in the power of the spirit that God provides. When you read the Bible and you see that the change of the disciples at the time of Pentecost and the giving of the Holy Spirit, these men that were fishermen all of a sudden became bold witnesses. Fearful Peter turns into the rock. And we see that 
In Acts 1.8, it says that when you receive the power of the Holy Spirit, you will be my witnesses. When you get the Holy Spirit, you will be my witnesses. When you receive the Spirit, you will, get, you will be my witnesses. So Paul is saying and reminding Timothy, listen, fan into flame the Spirit that's been given to you, a holy boldness to share the gospel. He says, listen, I'm not ashamed. Join with me. In other words, Paul is standing and said, don't stand by the pool. Jump in. Or since we're in Sheboygan, we got the lake there. It might be cold, but come on, jump in. The power of the Spirit makes every believer witnesses. If we were looking at the global south and what's taking place in the churches, we see that the pastors are planting so many churches they can't pastor churches, so the people in the church are the ones that are witnessing and, and doing the ministry. They took to heart this whole example that we are to be witnesses. And if you go to each one of the great commission passages in Matthew, in Mark, in Luke, and in John, this is what we hear in Matthew, it says, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. In Mark, it says, preach the good news. In Luke, it says, be witnesses and clothed with the power of God. In John, it says, Jesus says, as the Father sent me, so send I you. And you look throughout John, in John 8, Jesus says, what I have heard from the Father, I tell the world. What would happen if every believer witnessed? It is the Spirit of God that gives us the boldness it's kind of interesting that when Peter and John were, I think, put in prison in Acts chapter 4, and they were released, they got together, and they prayed together until the place was shaken, and then they spoke the word of God boldly. And this is what we're seeing take place in, in around the world in the global south is that they spend time in prayer, praying, praying, and praying until they are empowered by the Holy Spirit to go forth boldly and to proclaim the gospel. Two weeks ago, I was in the hospital, uh, and there was a Romanian that was there, had just had an operation, and the, her parents uh, flew in. And as we were talking, uh, I was introduced as, you know, the pastor of the lady that was having the operation. But he had grown under communism and he had seen the darkness. And he had lived and suffered through this uh, oppression. And he told me in his broken English, I always ask one question, do you know Jesus? So he turns to me after being called the pastor. Do you know Jesus? <laughs> this is the way that he does. He could care less whether or not it was appropriate at the moment. He could care less what people thought. He just knew that Jesus had changed him and he went to everyone and said, do you know Jesus? I have 
friends of mine that come from the Muslim world and they have seen the destruction of countries that they love, that they call home under the darkness of Islam. There's destructiveness. And they have found freedom in Christ. I have a friend in LA and what he does is he goes with a placard and <laughs> he holds it up and says, do you know Jesus? <laughs> California. You go, I get there's some crazies over there. But it's the whole thing of the holy boldness. I've seen the other side. Do you know Jesus? Paul is saying, charge you, Timothy, stir, bring to life, fan into flame the gift of the Holy Spirit in you. And be my witnesses and join me. We have a lot to be fearful in this world. We have a lot to be fearful in witnessing. But are we fearful so that we won't even pray that we would have boldness to speak Jesus? Are we so afraid that we are not willing to even pray that God makes us bold? There's a second charge that Paul gives to the young Timothy. For God did not give us a spirit of timidity, but a spirit of power and of love. So the second charge that Paul gives to Timothy is love people. Just love people. So I, I like that passage from the Living Bible. Just enjoy people. Enjoy being with people. You look at Paul's life, and at the beginning, he was a great debater. He would go to the synagogues, he would debate anybody and everyone. He would go into the marketplace and he would debate people. Interesting thing is, Barnabas went along with Paul in these events. Paul was the one that got beat up, Barnabas didn't. And now, at the end of Paul's life, as he is in prison, he's saying to Timothy, just love people. Love people. I know that when we were starting our ministry, one of the big questions we was, I was debating was, do I go the apologetic route? Uh, and, because whenever I'm witnessing with people, particularly for the Muslims, there's a list of questions that they always ask. And do I need to answer all of these? And how deep do I need to go? And how far do I have to go in answering all of these questions? And that would just take me into studying and studying more and more and more and more. And, and then I just sort of said, well, I don't want to spend my time doing that. Let me just love people. Let me go and spend time with people. This sort of was really driven home to me here just recently. My wife has been doing a Bible study with a Jordanian woman who has come to know Jesus. And her, 
she was getting married and this church uh, was hosting this entire thing and uh, they had paid for the wedding dress, they had paid for the cake, I mean, they made the cake, I mean they did everything, did the direction, uh, decorations and everything in church. So here the parents come from Jordan and they see all of this love that is just doted on their daughter and they were impressed with the love of the people in the church. Well, the church supported a missionary that was in that country as well, and uh, they said, okay, here, let's go and find out, and you meet up. So uh, he sort of been young in the ministry, and he only lived five minutes away from, or five minutes walk away from this uh, elderly couple. So they went along with the daughter-in-law to this guy's house and they had a wonderful meal, hospitality and everything else and then he decided to sit down and play a video of a famous preacher who has led many people to Christ but his approach is sharp shock and shock and he hits you over the head in very much an apologetic way and he just goes after Islam and the parents were offended it was like that's not the Christianity that we saw in the States. Uh, and the daughter-in-law, or the sister-in-law actually, of this woman, she said, no more, I'm never going to go there. When the woman that my wife's been doing the Bible study with found this out, she said, I just need to love him. <laughs> That's all he needed to do. Don't worry about the apologetic stuff, just love them. That would have made a whole difference uh, if they would have just done that. Just remember this. A person can only handle as much truth as the bridge of trust that you have developed with them can hold. And he hadn't developed the bridge of trust yet that could hold the truth that he gave. So many people, that's what we do. So let's, let's just do what Paul said. Let's love people. Um, one of the things that I've found that uh, as I've been living in the area in Chicago that I'm in, uh, we have a one-mile strip with 30 restaurants. And I have seen three Middle Eastern restaurants start and three fail. And there was a new one that took over in the same strip mall and it was also a Mediterranean uh, restaurant. And I just felt really burdened. And so one day I saw the person, somebody inside, so I stopped and went over and I thought it was open. It was not yet open. They were still uh, doing a lot of getting the menus together. And I just said, can I pray that you're business succeeds. I've seen that, I've seen businesses come and go. I don't like to see these business areas close. It's not good for the neighborhood. Can I just pray for your business that it would succeed? And she goes, yes. And she's a very strict Muslim. I couldn't shake her hand or anything like this. And so I just prayed for her and prayed that God would bless her, her restaurant and that it would not fold, that people would notice it and come. 
One week later, I get a phone call. She said, can you come by? So I come by, and she just poured out of the family problems that she's going through. And she said, what advice would you give me? What do I do in this situation? I'm not sure. So we talked about it and prayed about it. And then a week later, she goes, can you stop by again? <laughs> so I came by and stopped by, and I prayed for her again. She goes, I really appreciate the way that you pray. It's amazing that when we love people, they're open. And it's incredible doors. And Paul's saying to Timothy, just love people. Don't be afraid of them. Just love them. In John it says, 1 John 4, 18, perfect love actually casts out fear. So my question is, is does our fear keep us from loving people enough to go to them and to bless them in prayer and to share your own story. My first meeting, she knew I was a Christian, not a problem at all. But she was blessed by just me praying with her. Let's just love people. The third charge that Paul gives to Timothy in 1 Timothy 1.7. For God did not give us a spirit of timidity, but a spirit of power, of love, and of self-discipline, or some translations say a sound mind. You know, there are a lot of scary things that are out there. Uh, we hear about ISIS and Boko Haram and Al-Qaeda. Uh, latest news coming from the BBC says that uh, ISIS, uh, the Islamic State, is now working together uh, with other groups in West Africa to grab great swaths of land and territory. And it's going to be a new kind of uh, hotspot that's going to take place in West Africa. We got the coronavirus, China, Korea, and uh, it's just taking place in Iran. A uh, possible pandemic in which it's affected that the markets have crashed. Uh, there's just a lot of things to be fearful of. I was at O'Hare and a guy was wearing, two guys were wearing masks and go, I'd rather be safe than sorry. You know, it's like there's not a coronavirus here. But it was that type of thing. Fear is spiritual. Satan does want, does wants to keep us in fear, frozen, so we don't do anything at all. We have fear of the unknown, and most of that is we project fear, because we don't know. And we go down rabbit holes of what ifs, what ifs, what ifs. And Satan plays with our minds. And Paul is saying we need to keep a sound mind, self-discipline in these issues. And this is how he addresses it. If you got, follow with me in verse 8 and following. He says, do not be ashamed to testify about our Lord or ashamed of me as prisoner, but join with me in suffering for the gospel by the power of God who has saved us and has called us to a holy life, not because of anything that we have done, but because of his pur purpose and grace. 
This grace was given to us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time, but it has now been revealed to us by the appearing of our Savior, Jesus Christ, who has destroyed death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. That, and this is the gospel I am appointed a herald, an apostle, and a teacher. I know we're in Wisconsin, and we're not too far from Green Bay. And there's a famous saying that goes with Vince Lombardi. He would take a football, and what would he say? Anyone? This is a football. Why does he say that? Starts with the basics. Listen, guys. Don't get caught up in the game. This is what it is. Paul, in essence, is doing a Vince Lombardi here. He is saying, Timothy, to keep a sound mind, this is the gospel. Remember, this is what we proclaim. In verse 9, he says, God has saved us. He's given us new life. God has called us to a holy life. He's turning the world upside, that is upside down, right side up. God's grace has been given us before the foundation of time. In other words, God's got a plan that he's working out. He just wants us to follow it and get in line with it. In verse 10, he says, uh, Jesus is the plan, and we are witnesses that Jesus came to this earth. That's our job. Jesus is the gospel. Jesus conquered death. We have hope. We are not like those without hope. He says, I know Jesus, this is real, and I'm not ashamed of it. Don't be. God is in control. Trust him. I know that I am convinced that he is able to guard what I've entrusted to him to that very last day. Paul is saying here, remember the power of the gospel. It has driven home to me many, many times. I do a Bible study with these people from a particular country. And the one son has gotten involved in Hinduism and he's got his guru and all of this and they love the whole thing of love and love and love. And then we sit down and we do a Bible study and he's trying to project all of this kind of teaching into it and we go no this is what the scriptures say and after a while he says this is not like any other religious book he said this is life this is real it speaks to us today there is no other religious literature that does exactly like the bible does it's truth and he's amazed that that's truth and Paul realizes that and he's saying to Timothy, remember, this is the gospel. Don't ever forget it. So the question I have for us is, does our fear override the power of the message? In other words, are we sort of caught with fear of everything else of what other people are going to say that we forget that this is power to change lives. So Timothy was timid. Paul said, this is the gospel. Remember it. The fourth challenge that he laid before Timothy is a little more subtle 
And uh, if you have a device, it's harder to find and follow along, but let me try to take you along on it. 2 Timothy 1.8. So do not be ashamed to testify about our Lord or ashamed of me, his prisoner, but join with me in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. Verse 12. That is why I am suffering as I am, yet I am not ashamed because I know whom I have believed and I am convinced he is able to guard me with what I have entrusted him to that day. Verses, chapter 2, verses 9 and 10. For I am suffering even to the point of being chained like a criminal, but God's word is not chained. Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they too may obtain salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. Chapter 3, verse 10 through 12. You, however... Know all about my teaching, my way of life, my purpose, faith, patience, love, endurance, persecutions, sufferings, what kinds of things happened to me in Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra, the persecutions I've endured. Yet the Lord rescued me from all of them. In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be Persecuted. 4.18 The Lord will rescue me from every evil attack and will bring me safely to his heavenly kingdom. To him be glory forever and ever. Amen. Did you catch what that is? Paul's fourth charge to Timothy Suffering for the gospel is normal. Suffering for the gospel is normal. Paul had suffered an awful lot. In verse 8 he says, Just don't be ashamed of the testimony of the Lord or ashamed of me as prisoner, but join with me in suffering. Suffering is a part of the gospel. It is a part of the Christian life. To bring really this point home, if you go to Matthew chapter 10, it is an entire chapter of 42 verses in which Jesus sends out the 12 disciples and he gives them the instructions as to what they are supposed to do when they go out witnessing. We don't have time to go through it all, but let me just say this. Verses 5 through 10 is what you're supposed to do when you go to witness. Heal, preach the good news, heal the sick, um, raise the dead. Verses 11 through 14 is where you're supposed to go. Go to the, not to those on the outside right now, but I want you to go to the house of Israel. And when you go, um, if they receive you, go, you know, let them be received. So they were to go. Uh, let me just sort of say this. 
the Old Testament example was everybody was supposed to come to Jerusalem to the temple and there they would find God. In the New Testament, Jesus said, the presence is no longer just the temple. The presence of God is in you. Therefore, you go and be the presence of God for those out there. And I think one of the things that we do wrong in our church is that we're working in an Old Testament model in a New Testament era. It's not that we bring people here. It's that we go to where they are. And then you go from verses 15 to 42, and it is all about persecution. How many have gone through evangelism training? Can I just see some hands? A couple. When you break down the verses, 28% of the verses is what you're supposed to do and where you're supposed to go. 75% is the cost of what it's going to be. And it goes like this. I'm sending you out like sheep among wolves. Verses 17 and 18, you will not be treated well. Verses 19 and 20, when you go before people and you don't know what to say, don't worry about it. I'll give you the words to speak. I'll give you just a quick illustration. A friend of mine, an Egyptian, he was found to be a Christian and was witnessing and he was brought into jail and he was being interrogated. And they were pushing and really saying, you know, how can you say that Jesus is God? How in, in, that Jesus died on the cross? And if Jesus is God and he died on the cross, then where did the God of the universe go when Jesus died? And he just didn't know what to say. So as he told me, he said, he prayed, and was like, God, you have to give me a response. And he had one light above him, you know, sort of your typical movie type thing, of the light just over your head. So he said, if I take a rod and I whack that light, where does the electricity go? And the, the officers were like, he's too smart. <laughs> Get out of here. <laughs> <laughs> he was released. But God gives you these words. And so many times when you've done evangelism, have you ever been to the point where you say, wow, that was really smart. Where did that, question, where did that answer come from? I never had that thought before. But this is what happens. God says, I'm going to give you these words. So don't worry what to say. He said, this message is going to split homes. And he said, your master... You are not above your master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you. Don't be afraid of them. You are precious to me. In fact, he says in 32 through 24, don't be ashamed of the gospel. It will divide families, but take up your cross. Follow me. If you want to save your life, you will lose it. If you lose your life for my sake, you will find it. And there's a reward. 75% of Jesus' message was saying, you're going to suffer. Now go. J.I. Packard, in his book, Recovering Holiness, says this. And I want you to listen to this. This is something that we typically don't hear. Suffering in some shape or form is everyone's lot from the earliest days, though some know far more of it than others. We cherishly, shockingly, 
have strong illusions about having a right to expect from God health, wealth, ease, excitement, and sexual gratification. We are shockingly unaware that suffering Christianly is an integral part and aspect of biblical holiness and a regular part of business as usual for the believer. So Paul tells Timothy, join me. So my question is this. Are we afraid of others and what they think so that we are not even willing to pay any cost? Have we so embraced the fear that we want, don't want to pay anything for being a Christian? We live in extraordinary times in history. The church is expanding at an exponential rate. Christianity has shifted drastically to the south and we are seeing an unprecedented turning of Muslims to Christ in every room of Islam. We are seeing changes from church planting to church multiplication to movements worldwide. Bible translation is expanded and expedited by technology and computer programs. Yet, we are seeing the persecution of Christians matching the remarkable growth. Paul's counsel to Timothy rings true today just as it did during his time. And will you respond to his charge that did God did not give us a spirit of timidity but a spirit of power to witness. A spirit of love to, to love everyone no matter what language they are or where they come from. And a spirit of self-discipline so that we are not sucked into our fears. We're here to do business with God. We need to lay our fears on the altar. So do not be ashamed to testify about our Lord. But join with me in sharing and suffering the gospel. Lord Jesus, we come before you this morning and we thank you for your word. We thank you that you have given us your Holy Spirit to empower, to embolden us, to be witnesses. But Lord, Satan plays with us. Fears assail us. Media runs on fear and creating fear. But Jesus, help us to embrace your message that we might be bold and that we might join our brothers and sisters in the South and suffer for witnessing for you so that your name might be honored glorified and lifted up, for we ask this in Christ's name. Amen.